Hello, and welcome to Breadcrumbs, a podcast brought to you by Trace Labs. It's our mission here to facilitate OSINT for everyone. We'll be hearing from industry experts, community leaders, and everyday people about the tools, topics, and techniques that will make your OSINT collection better. Hello, and welcome back to part two of our conversation with Aletha Dennis. In part one, we got to hear about her personal journey and the effect that OSINT played in that journey. In the second part, we're going to get some really good career advice with an OSINT slant, and she's going to teach us all about real estate OSINT. So sit back and enjoy part two of my conversation with Aletha Dennis. It's been, it's been funny over the course of, of our talk, I've like come up with questions and then before I ask them, you answer them. <laughs> uh, but the, I think the thing worth pointing out is there's, there's a very, very obvious through line to a lot of your successes and a lot of your progressions. And that's going all the way back to your description of the title company. You seem to have this, this knack for understanding what you enjoy and then, and then going after more of that. And like that, right. like, like that, that might sound incredibly like simple or even silly, but like most people don't give it that much thought. It just a job, mm-hmm. a job is a job. I want a better job. Well, what does that mean? Um, whereas yeah. from, uh, from a, a very early stage in your professional development, like you had this, whether it was like on the, like on the surface or like buried deep inside, but you had this understanding of what it was you actually enjoyed about the job that you had and you, Mm -hmm. and you just kept going after that. And then when that wasn't there, it was time to go after something else. Um, and then whether you knew it at the time or not, you know, you were doing OSINT this entire time. Um, because I feel like as OSINT gets more and more and more popular and more and more traction, you know, in Mm -hmm. the public sphere, you know, especially in the last, six months or even the last three weeks. Um, OSINT is so hot right now. Um, <laughs> but, <trendy>. uh, <laughs> yes. So I think a lot, a lot of people are coming into it from the wrong direction. They're mm-hmm. saying, Oh yeah, I want to get into OSINT. Well, why do you say that? Cause it's cool. Right. Cause it, 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 it is cool. It is fun, but you, you came at it from what I feel is the correct direction of, I love investigations. I love to learn things. I love to, Mm -hmm. you know, synthesize that information. I love to explain that in a way other people can understand. And then you just one day found out that that was an entire field of the intelligence community. Yes. Yeah. And discovering the intelligence community was like, it was one of those like just mind blowing moments where I was like, all the stuff that I feel like I've been doing randomly in these various positions. Like I, I wanted to do this job because of this reason, that core reason always comes back to OSINT. And when I joined the Death Star, it was, you know, I'm sick of pulling docs and photocopying maps and explaining to people why they can't build right there because there's a setback. And, you know, I just got to the point of tedium and, you know, everything got outsourced and it wasn't fun anymore. And so I looked at I looked at the Death Star as an opportunity to move into a more technology centric realm. And I was like, I'm going to learn all the things about wireless 
technology, as far as communications are concerned, I'm going to learn because they make you pay your dues as a sales rep the first year, which is miserable. And, and I have had some things happen. Um, I had a gentleman that was irritated that the, like the entire wireless cell phone network, I'm trying to keep it unbranded here, folks. So pardon the, <laughs> pardon the awkward pauses, but the entire network for the local area was down. There were zero data or voice communications happening whatsoever. And this was very new into like the smartphone, like people still had clamshells. And so this guy comes in and he's like, why isn't my phone working? And I'm like, well, our network's down, like the sign on the front door says. And he just got super irate and he takes the phone and he just like slams it down on the counter and it pops back up and hits me in the chest. And I was like, you need to take this and you need to leave. <laughs> But I mean, you know, there's going to be situations in every job where there's not favorite elements. I mean, if you've worked kind of like more of a traditional route through IT and you've worked, say, like support or help desk or any of those things, customer service even, um, you you know that there's always going to be terrible elements of, of every aspect of uh, a job. There's going to be things you don't like to do. And I think that what it boils down to is identifying the things that you really do like to do and then figuring out how you can improve the situation that you have now. Like I have never accepted a job unless I was getting paid more than what I was currently getting paid for the role that I was in. And the way that I do that is when they go, and this is illegal, they can't ask you this now. So if they do, it's not allowed. But in the past, they would say, well, how much are you making? And I would add like 20 or 25,000 <laughs> annually to whatever it was that they asked me or more, depending on what the job was, um, and just like give them a number. And then they would likely say, well, that's ridiculous and offer me 10,000 less, but it would be more than what I had been making. Um, and that's how you can kind of like give yourself a little raise. <laughs> but, but I identifying where your skills meet their job descriptions. And there are definitely people out there in the information security sphere who are a tremendous asset if you want to learn more about creating resumes that match up to job descriptions and identifying your skills that are valuable to prospective employers. I can point you in all kinds of directions for that kind of stuff too. Um, but, but at the core, finding something that you really want to do cannot be based on the job title or what you think are the most fun aspects and limit your view to that. It's kind of like the ads on the military, you know, promoting and recruiting websites where they only show you like the top, top, top roles or the most elite roles. And there's like five guys in the entire organization that do it. And that's what they advertise. Meanwhile, you're more likely to be somewhere in the middle with the other, you know, thousands of people doing something that maybe isn't as exciting. That's something that you need to really sit down and evaluate. Like, I can't say that I only do physicals. Like, that's all I do is social engineering and I do physical assessments and that's all I do. Like I'm going to have to suck it up and do some of the other stuff, including <laughs> report writing and dealing with clients and, you know, being a great communicator and documenting conversations. And there's a whole lot more to it. And at the end of the day, 
if you're just in this to pwn people, that is not going to make you successful in this arena at all. Um, you really need to come at this from a perspective of helping other people, leading other people into more secure, um, you know, cybersecurity posture, you know, frameworks and you need to come at this from the perspective of I want to help you do this better and this is how I can use my skills to do that rather than I want to make all of your employees click on this malicious in quotes link and pwn everybody um, because a <clears throat> that's not how you get hired again <laughs> and b being a member of a team and really reflecting well on your organization is going to need you to be a great uh, consultant and a communicator if that's what you want to do. Um, but there are so many opportunities. And I recently worked on a study that was focused on cybersecurity talent in manufacturing. You can actually go Google it, but it was through MXD and it was last year. And we took a look at what career trajectories there are for individuals who are starting off in information security, specific really to manufacturing, but it kind of transitions into other industries as well. But you can start off in this position and move to that position and end in this position. What do you need to get from this position to that position? Those types of things were all things that we looked at because there is a tremendous gap in skills in this area and over the next decade, it's only going to grow. And so if you find a trainer that you like, if you find a training organization that does certify you for the information and the knowledge that you gain through their training programs, and there are a variety of them out there, I have no recommendations, you're going to have to decide that for yourself, then absolutely pursue those things. I've tried a ton of different trainers, and there are some people that I just learn from more effectively than others. That's just the way it is. I do trainings and some people don't really learn from me as well as they do from other people that offer similar trainings. So don't limit yourself or don't, don't take an OSINT training and go, well, that was dumb. <laughs> I don't want to do that ever again. You know, keep, keep finding new resources and connecting with new opportunities for you to learn. And I think you'll find where you can fit OSINT into what you do now and also potentially identify where you can find those same elements in jobs that will improve your situation, get you into the industry that you want to be in, and ultimately satisfy your career goals. Something a little bit unrelated, that, but it does kind of tie back in. You know, we, we opened up the episode, um, you know, just making fun of people's hilarious, you know, mispronunciations <laughs> with, with your name. I think that maybe interpersonal, like, interactions, especially first interactions, are probably an overlooked element of OSINT. When people think OSINT, they think, oh, I'm going to find out where someone lives or I'm going to find out, you know, what they've been up to. But you can actually just find out some really useful things like how to pronounce someone's name. <laughs> um, any, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, do you have any thoughts or feelings on, I, I guess, may, maybe just like less sexy OSINT, but probably, <laughs> but pr probably more useful OSINT? So mm, less sexy OSINT. So when we're talking about OSINT, a lot of times we think about doing the missing persons OSINT CTF and finding really, you know, salacious, crazy, amazing things. But you can really use OSINT in a variety of different ways and specific to 
uh, career advancement, which is kind of the theme for what we're talking about today. And I use similar techniques in my assessments for clients and things like that, is I will go to Glassdoor and I will read every review left by an employee. And, um, you know, you might think like this name of this company would look really great on my resume, but you need to evaluate if it's really going to be a good fit for you. And one of the best ways that you can do that is through Glassdoor and Indeed reviews. You can go look at the other types of people that are employed at that organization. If things like diversity matter to you, go to their LinkedIn company page and look at all the people who purport to work there. Um, you know, if it matters to you, if there's diversity in their leadership, go look at their leadership and the people that claim to be a part of that on LinkedIn, that can be a really great indicator. If you sign up for some of the more premium features within LinkedIn, you can see specific insights and I will give you like a little hack here. So sign up for LinkedIn job seeker, cancel it. And then when they offer it to you at a reduced rate, then sign up. You should be able to sign up for an annual subscription and get it as low as like 15 bucks a month for job seeker. If you are um, former or current military, I believe that you can get premium for free. You will have to do your own investigation on how to accomplish that. Um, but use the premium insights to look at the companies that you're interested in applying for and determine you know who who's come and went from there it shows you some of the more notable alumni it also shows you hiring patterns like have they hired a bunch of sales staff have they hired a bunch of development team members have they let go hr people have they let go marketing people and that's going to give you intelligence competitive intelligence about that organization are they getting ready to release a new product are they rolling back sales because you know they don't have the budget for it those types of things are going to be shown in the way that the company is operating and how they're hiring and investing in different functions within the company and this is all super not sexy OSINT, but it is very valuable to you as a candidate considering applying for that job. Also, if you are working for a company and you potentially want to see what your competitors are out doing, that's another area where you can use this type of information. Um, and I will say there are a ton of different applications out there that you can purchase license subscriptions to that will go out and get this kind of information, but at the end of the day, really LinkedIn premium is what most people go back to as far as like the, de the definitive. And it's stuff that you can definitely learn on the free LinkedIn platform um, and some other websites. And there are definitely some competitive, competitive intelligence OSINT talks out there. Chris Kirsch has a number of them that are extremely well put together and I highly recommend you go find them. Um, but for, you know, the, the not exciting OSINT side of things, there are things that you can learn about, um, you know, not only the companies that you're considering applying for or that you are directly competing with if you're employed by another organization and you just want to see what your competitors are out there doing, but OSINT yourself. <laughs> It is essential, in my opinion, that you have great OPSEC or operational security, especially if you are putting yourself out there 
in this community or online in general, um, Google yourself. I unfortunately have an extremely unique name. So my philosophy when it comes to OPSEC is not to try to remove all the things that I don't like, but just to create so many new things that it buries all the old things. Um, I used to maintain a blog that gave out a lot of personal information and I shut that thing down and deleted it a few years ago. I used to really openly share way too much personal information on various social media sites and I've really limited and stopped doing that um, over the last you know, decade or so. Um, so just you know, take a good look at your own OPSEC, use the skills that you have through OSINT and through like an incognito or um, separate browser from what you usually use um, to go Google yourself and see what other people could potentially find about you and try to, you know, do damage control or just be aware that that could potentially be out there and somebody could use that um, as a means of building rapport with you or gaining your trust or influencing you to do something. Um, so it, it sounds like, you know, that's probably something that a lot of us already know, but actually sitting down and doing it is another thing. So take the time one Sunday afternoon or when you have a few hours that you're sitting in a doctor's office and pull out your phone and open up a, you know, untracked browser window so you're not influencing your own search results and go find out what's out there um, or other people that could be mistaken for you. <laughs> and see what see what you can do to kind of shore up any gaps in your own personal security. Taking it all the way back to the beginning, because, <laughs> you know, that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> no, uh, yeah, um, your, your time with the title company, um, to me, and maybe I'm just weird, but is fascinating. Oh, I love it. Because, <laughs> uh, like, people don't realize that, you know, property records... Mm -hmm. were the original blockchain. Oh, yes. In, in the sense that they're fairly immutable. Like you can yes. go back potentially hundreds of years to, you know, and there's, it's, it's etched in stone who owned this property, who sold it to whom, who, you know, and barring any sort of physical calamity, those records are forever. Um, yes. Similar to the blockchain we all know and love today. Um, <laughs> so just that, that entire, I guess, field of records is fascinating because I feel like mm -hmm. it's probably an overlooked piece of OSINT. When, when most of us think OSINT, we think, you know, in a web browser and some of those records are now digital, but some 15 some years ago they are, weren't. But I will say, okay, so, so property records go back to what we call the beginning of time, mm -hmm. which is the early 1900s. And for each county, that can be a little bit different. And for each state, that can also be different. The way that those documents are classified, how they're recorded, how they're stored. And in the old days, the deed that went of record was literally kept on file hard copy. And you may have received a copy of that, but I want to smash this idea that if you hold the physical deed to a piece of property, you own it. That's not how it works anymore. That's some Wild West stuff. So when a property is deeded to a person, there is a deed or grant deed, or there's a variety of different deeds, but grant deed is the most common. So this married couple deeds it to this other married couple, or this single man deeds it to this unmarried man. That is essentially what a deed will say. 
and that goes off record. And now it's scanned and then uploaded to a county system that's maintained and they send that deed to the person who purchases the property. So the person who acquires the property gets the original copy, but the scanned copy is on file forever. That's the way it is. There's no way to like give that deed to somebody else and now they own it. That's not how that works. So with the chain of title, when we were going back farther and farther, like, of course, there's like the digital stuff. And then there's like the stuff that's on paper that we ultimately scanned and put into the a digital system. And then there were like little books of half sheets of paper that were the grant deed reduced in size to a half sheet of paper and then stuffed in a box. And we had walls of these boxes that went all the way back to like the early, you know, 1950s of documents. And you would take the half sheet of paper out and take it to the photocopy machine and blow it up to a full size. And that's what you would, you know, put in your report. And then going back even before the paper boxes in the title plant, which is what we called it with all those paper documents, there was microfiche. And this was bananas. So this was my favorite. If I got documents that went back this far, we would actually have to go get the box of microfiche for that book of record and then pull out the relevant sheet, which had like 10 or 20 different document sheets on one little card of microfilm. Some of you probably don't even know what I'm talking about right now. You're going to have to go Google microfiche or microfilm to figure it out. And then we would take that sheet and we would stick it into a microfiche machine that would then blow it up like a projector on a screen in front of your face. And then you would push a big old button that would go and it would make a copy and spit out a piece of paper with that document that you put on the screen and blew up real big on it. And it was horrible. So bad. You couldn't read it. It was terrible, but it was enough to like eke out what happened. And so, yeah, like researching this stuff all the way back, it would get to the point sometimes where we were like, we don't even have the document that goes back that far, like on record here in our title plant. So now I'm going to have to purchase a copy of the document from the county and we would have to like huck it five blocks up to the county building, request formally a copy of this one document, this book, this page, and they would go make a photocopy for you, bring it up to the counter and charge you seven bucks for it. But what most people don't understand is all of this information, all these chains of title, they are 100% public record. And as a citizen, you have a right to request a copy of any of them. So if you're like, and this is what truly fascinated me, I never did this and I will deny it until I'm dead. But if you ever got curious about a competitor or a family member or a parent and wanted to know what they owned, you could go search their name at the county and figure out every document that their name appeared on and then pull all of their documents to figure out what property they owned, when it sold, who else was on title with them, all of these various different things and, and what their loans were <laughs> on those pieces of property. Do they have like a $350,000 loan against that house or all those things go of record. Um, I had a dentist one time, same county, still working as a title company. I was acting recorder at the time. I had gone to the dentist, never had a cavity in my life, mind you. And this particular dentist had told me that I had 10 cavities that needed to be dressed immediately. And I was like, well, I'm kind of broke. <laughs> like I make $8 an hour. I can't afford to do all this right now. So <clears throat> I was like, no, I can't do it. I'm sorry. And time went on and 
I was acting as a recorder and there was one morning where I had to do all the recordings for the three title companies that we talked about. And one of the things that I had to do before all the documents went of record is I had to make sure that none of the people who were having documents recorded that morning showed up on any of the liens and um, like tax liens and um, other types of mechanics liens that can be filed against individuals. None of the people recording documents today could show up on the documents that recorded yesterday that weren't in the searchable digital system yet. So I had to literally sit there with all the names of the people recording docs today and compare them with all the names of the people that had documents recorded the previous day. And if I found a match, I had to make sure that it wasn't a lien. So I'm going through doing this and making sure that none of the people that are on my list for recording today had a lien that was you know, filed against them the day before for like $10,000 in taxes that they owed or something like that. And I found four liens filed against this dentist for like a total of a hundred and twenty something thousand dollars in taxes that they hadn't paid for the dentist's, you know, practice. And I was like, holy crap, that makes sense. Like now it makes sense why this person was trying to build 10 cavities and make all this money off of me because they're in like super tax debt. <laughs> like they've got all this debt with all these tax liens and these taxes that they haven't paid. And now I understand where all this is coming from. So long story short, you can absolutely go run the name of anyone in any particular county and find out if there are any documents against them. Some counties actually offer that service on their website and you may not be able to review the actual document, but you'll be able to see that there was a document recorded and like the title and the date of the document. And then if you wanted copies, you could purchase them. But yeah, all this stuff's out there. You can search tax records to see how much property tax people are paying for you know their property or somebody you know's property. You may not be able to search it based on address. You might actually have to have the tax number. So that's one thing that's kind of built in there for privacy purposes. Um, but if you're a homeowner, um, and this is kind of where you can get creative points <laughs> during the missing person CTF is if your missing person is a homeowner and you go search and find the properties that they have or the, the tax records that are out there for properties that they might have in the county that they disappeared in hey, maybe they've got like some crazy ridiculous tax lien against them and they, you know, took off and bailed out of the county because they were trying to avoid paying. No, there's all kinds of things that can contribute to the story of somebody um, who's gone missing for whatever reason. So yeah, the, the title company and all the things that I learned through doing the research and investigations there, I mean, we had properties that would transfer title because somebody had committed suicide and we're like reviewing their death certificate and like it's all a little bit crazy I mean like I, th I compared that with like there's a lot of similarities in you know looking at probates and people's family issues and the judge having to rule that this kid gets this piece and that kid gets that piece after the parents pass away and there's a lot of stuff that actually is very much uh, similar with the types of information that you're finding during the missing person CTFs and looking at people's family drama and, you know, potentially learning things about the missing person that weren't shared with the media and stuff like that. And I think a lot of that, you know, kind of comes back to me when I get to do um, the OSINT CTFs through Trace Labs. A lot of those skills really transfer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, I guess, if I was trying to get a single point across to anybody, it's that the fundamentals of an investigation are evergreen. They're not changing. Like an investigation is an investigation. 
Now, the medium could be different. It could be electronic. It could be paper. It could mm-hmm. be, you know, in all sorts of different places. Microfiche. Yes, <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah, if you're um, lucky. But truly, like those fundamental skills are going to be so useful. Um, so if you're, if that's something that, if, if that part of it excites you, like really dig into those fundamentals and you'll probably find happiness or you'll, you'll at least know where to look for a career. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I want my job to have these things. I don't know what that job's called yet, but it has to yeah. have, it has, has to check these two or three boxes. Um, the other thing, um, how I've dealt in the past with a number of awful jobs is just, you know, creating this overly dramatic, you know, film that plays out in my head or like, you know, like, like half a, half a screenplay. And I've, <laughs> I've been doing the exact same thing with your work history over the course of our conversation. So like, mm-hmm. I've probably got about the first act of this screenplay where you're the title person and you uncover something that no one was supposed to find. <laughs> and, you know, there's all this nefarious stuff that, you know, your investigative skills uncovered and then you're on the run and now there's a, you know, and act two, act, you know, act two will find us, you know, you on the run trying to piece together this massive conspiracy while leaning on your friends in the InfoSec community. So that sounds like way more fun than my real life. Can (laughs) we go do that? That is, and that's, that's how I've coped with my terrible jobs is telling myself (laughs) those stories. So, So there was a huge change actually after the title company, um, after I left the title company, I changed jobs, switched cars, uh, went into separation from my then husband and started working for the Death Star and got a new living situation. Like I moved in with roommates and got rid of the house that I was renting all in the matter of 10 days. Wow. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, but it was like this humongous change. And again, it it's one of those weird things where like OSINT has always been at the center of my life. There were things that I had to do during that time where I was, and all of the stuff I learned at the title company really helped with this, but I, I filed my own divorce. I managed all that myself. I didn't have a lawyer. I didn't have money for a lawyer. It actually cost me more money to get divorced than it did to get married. (laughs) And it was like 380 bucks. So, so like, I don't recommend it, but, uh, but all of that research and dealing with the county and understanding how county government worked and how to file the forms appropriately and doing the notaries and getting all that stuff done. Like there are elements of these jobs that move into all different areas of your life. And if you have OSINT skills, I mean, most people, and this is horrible to say, so I'm just giving it a very colloquial description, but most people describe the things that we learn and teach when we talk about OSINT as essentially stalking your ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend. That's what people think of as OSINT and applications where you can use it in your life. That is not something I encourage, but it is something that people tend to do or ask people in our industry to do for them. And, um, you know, I I really want us to get away from this idea that OSINT is just stalking people because that is really the worst part of this. So if you want to learn how to use OSINT in your career, I would encourage you to do things that are more positive, more meaningful, 
and to try to identify areas of your current, like say in your current job, you're not satisfied with the role that you're in. Maybe there's a role within your organization that would use more OSINT type skills, research, audit, compliance, policy, the, all those things use OSINT skills. Um, acting as an auditor or as somebody who would do assessments before the audit at the Death Star for each of the retail stores, I can absolutely tell you that doing research into the way that the sales reps were doing transactions and um, you know figuring out if, if inventory was going missing and how it was going missing and making sure that cash deposits and all those things were accurate, all of that stuff ultimately goes back to leaning on those OSINT skills. Um, but you know, you're going to find what works best for you. Like for example, my husband, he worked as a network engineer at a very high level within an ISP for many years. Then he went off and decided to start his own IT MSP. And then over time he's transitioned fully into doing voice over IP phone service. So essentially he has a phone company. And so this has all been like a 20 year journey. You're not expected to figure out what you want to do at the age of 16 anymore. We have got so much freedom to change careers and to transition into new roles through the course of our lifetimes now where, you know, our kids are going to be doing jobs that don't even exist right now. I mean, that's almost certain. The majority of our children will be doing jobs that don't even exist. How do you train people for jobs that don't exist? You give them critical thinking skills, you give them the soft skills, and if you have those things, you're going to also be able to transition into whatever roles you find interesting and learn social engineering. So you can essentially sell your new employer on the fact that you know how to do the job even though you have no experience, which is not <laughs> anything I've ever done. <laughs> wow. This has been a journey with Elith Dennis. I've learned a lot. Uh, most importantly, we all learned how to pronounce her name. <laughs> I can't thank you enough, Elith, for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, where can people find you online? Honestly, the best place to reach out if you want an immediate response is Twitter. And it's just at Elith Dennis, A-L-E-T-H-E-D-E-N-I-S. Just one N, really. And then if you'd like, you're welcome also to connect with me on LinkedIn, um, it's just linkedin.com forward slash I-N forward slash Aleth. That's how unique my name is, A-L-E-T-H-E. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you again for coming on and I look forward to having you back sometime. Absolutely. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This has been another episode of Breadcrumbs. If you'd like to learn more, you can find us online at tracelabs.org, on Twitter at tracelabs, but if you really want to find us, just follow the breadcrumbs. <laughs>